You are listening to episode two of the High Gravity Sessions. I'm Chris Darum. None of the first big record. <laughs> Listen, after your big dumb apology, I'm going to make a big dumb apology. <laughs> I've got it. All right. So, it is July 15th. It's been one week since we last joined you. Uh, what have you been up to? Uh, well, I... Not much. Got news. My parents uh, live in Mississippi. They were driving down to Pennsylvania. We uh, quick had a lunch on Friday at, at your place of employment, the Dog Street Club. Mm-hmm. Your, your sometimes place of employment. Exactly. Not there. Uh, but the food was delicious. The beer was fine. And uh, we walked around CW. We got to tell them about the program. High gravity sessions. That was exciting. And then, yeah, Saturday had a busy day at a local brewery who was who were hosting a food truck cook-off competition with the special ingredient crab. It was very exciting. We had two Southside food trucks and one newer food truck that just started here in the area. I enjoyed the food. It's good food. The first, uh, the first dish was a crab croquettes. Could use a little more crab, but the sauce... There's the bechamel sauce they were serving with it was killer. Maybe the sauce was doing a little too much. The sauce was carrying the weight of that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, my second favorite was it was a platter with a half crab cake sandwich and an Asian spiced tuna taco topped with crab meat. I say the crab cake felt a little fuller, but the Crab on the taco felt more like an afterthought. So I felt that dish itself was two different dishes fighting against each other, which is not necessarily something you want to do in one of these competitions. The judge's favorite, the judge's favorite was clearly um, the crab cake sandwich with bacon jam, fried egg, and cornflakes. It is known as the hipster. Part of a balanced breakfast, apparently. Yeah, part, you know, I'd say there was still stuff that they could improve upon. I felt the loose cornflakes with the dish weren't really helping it out. I think if they crushed up the cornflakes and used it more like a, a batter or, or like a final coating on it, maybe that would gel a little more. And to be honest, like, not the big fan of fried egg. Well, I'm I'm coming from school thought that you can add an egg to any sandwich and make it better. And I support your right to add an uh, egg to any sandwich you want, no matter how crazy it sounds. Listen, peanut butter, jelly, and egg, mm-mm, just like mom used to make. You're allowed to believe that, and I will defend your right to <laughs> Matt, I'm not going to apologize for my beliefs no, here. No, That's no. not what we, what we apologize for things around no. here. No. Uh, in the next segment... Uh, it's a new segment that we are hoping is not a long-running segment, but it is a segment that needs to be addressed now before this podcast gets any older. This is Matt's Big Dumb Apology. We'll find some music for us. <laughs> we'll, find, we'll find some some Tim Burns documentary music, some sad Samantha music. Uh, so, Saturday night after the competition, some Friends I'd not seen in some time were at the brewery with me. We were talking. I was discussing the program. I was discussing the high-gravity sessions with Chris and Matthew. Uh, I was very excited. Uh, I was very excited to move towards uh, the subjects I was going to discuss in today's episode. Unfortunately, 
while discussing subjects that we talked about in previous episodes, I realized I made a grave error, and I would like to offer you, the listeners, my big dumb apology. In the Life of a podcast, one or two, one or two of the hosts are going to make a claim so outrageous, can't believe this person is hosting a podcast about global and local beer news and culture. Well, I can proudly announce that it was I, Matthew Perry Black, who mistakenly insisted as part of a discussion about the status of larger craft brewery brands that Dallas Point had not opened their facility in Danville, Virginia. This was factually incorrect. The Danville location opened in 2017, just like the pretty graph, graph at Dallas Point Disney Springs in Anaheim suggests to me. It is most likely that I was confused uh, regarding the delays in opening a Virginia facility with another West Coast brewer, Deschutes Brewing of Bend, Oregon. Last November, they announced that they would not be breaking ground on their Western Virginia East Coast facility. But they're not Dallas So while this doesn't completely destroy our discussion about black large craft beer trends and the missteps that Dallas Point has seen over the last two years, it still is a painfully obvious goof that has taught me the lesson of fact checking everything, even things you swear you know because you were a beer buyer for four years. I hope we can move past this factual error, Chris, and I can provide you, the listener, with a fun discussion on tasty poison. Chris, is there anything you'd like to follow up on regarding my big dumb apology? Matt, it was big, and it was dumb. But most importantly, it was an apology, and I accept your apology on behalf of our, all of our listeners. Thank you, Chris, and thank you, listeners. Time for a little science here at the High Gravity Session. Because what we're drinking today, just for funsies, not for our blind taste test, we have the Coelacanth Passion Fruit Goza. Now, the science we have here is that I picked up a can. That was canned March 26, 2019. We're recording this on the 15th of July, just to give you reference. And for me, I found a can from October 2nd, 2018, Hidden in the back of my beer fridge. So, <laughs> so, let's find out how much... How much does a goes change? How much does a goes, goes change? How much does a can affect the beer over time? Yeah. Cans, cans have been growing in prominence because you see a lot less light pollution. Keeps things fresher. You bring it to the beach. Okay, well... And, uh, yeah, thought it would be interesting when Chris showed up to pass through goes... I knew I had just found a can last week, hidden in the back of my, of my cooler, and this is an impromptu session. This is something we have never really done before. But we are men of science. We're men of science. Uh, it's interesting, you know, take IPAs, super hazy IPAs, 60, 
a massive difference uh, in 60 days. You know, the, the Technically, the IPA shelf life is 90 days, according to grocery stores. Uh, and brewers kind of operate on that, too. Uh, so IPAs tend to be around 90 days. Brown ales and scouts probably closer to about 100 Although it's weird considering IPAs were originally made to weather a huge overland and naval trip to India from England. So you figure... But we've made the delicate special snowflakes now. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I would say color-wise, I'm not seeing a whole lot of difference. Color-wise, it is very similar, if not the same. Uh, the can has not affected that way. I'm now going to taste the March 26th, 2019 beer. Yeah. All right. Good passion fruit tartness right there. It's in me in the back of the palate. Yeah, we used to keep this at the restaurant as our go-to our go-to can sour ale. Yeah. Uh, because all of Virginia Brewery's steel can for the longest time was the only one who had a Goza-style beer that they were producing Year-round. Exactly. Which it's is convenient for, convenient for guests, it's convenient for restaurants, trying to keep a bottle list. And you know it what? It doesn't change up too much, but still offers. Uh, it, ain't, it ain't half bad. I'm not no. going to. Uh, reason why I picked it up, because I just wanted to drink it. So here we have. It was the, one, of our, one of our best-selling year-round beer offers. Exactly. So now I have the October. I want to say the bouquet, the... A flatter bouquet, I'll say. A flatter bouquet. A flatter bu- yeah, bouquet on the on the older one. It has mellowed out, if you will, but definitely not as pronounced. Not as sour. Not as sour. Not as sour. Carbonation? The, would you say they're about the same? Thing? Carbonation, um, mostly the same. I'd say maybe the uh, March twenty sixth has a, a little bit more. More effervescence. Exactly, but it's it's not a. It, I wouldn't say oh one's regular one's flat. It's an, it's not a pronounced difference. It's not what really strikes us. I am not getting the taste at the back of the palate as I was with the March beer. The fresh. Exactly. Yes. And there's not as pronounced fruit on, on that beer either. So there you have it. We're men of science. This was Science with Chris and Matt. All right. <laughs> Now on to Virginia Brew News. And we're starting with the bummer. We are starting with the uh, announced closure of Mad Fox Brewing Company in Falls Church, Virginia. The owner issued this, uh, Bill Madden, CEO and executive brewer of Mad Fox Brewing Company, issued this statement July 9th. Um, It's a bit of a bummer. Friends, patrons, and supporters. uh, I'll be reading from some of it. I'll be reading excerpts from this, and then we'll talk about it. It is, it's very informative about the history of the industry over the last nine years, and it's also bittersweet for a gentleman who has been an industry leader. It is with great sadness and a heavy heart that I inform you of the closure of Mad Fox Brewing Company. Our last day of business will be Sunday, July 21st. The, the decision to close has been an extremely difficult one to make. We have witnessed restaurant competition in Falls Church City become fierce since our opening in 2010. Uh, on the brewing side of our business, we continue to see more breweries opening in Virginia with two new tap rooms setting up shop within a mile of Mad Fox in the last year. When we opened in 2010, 
There were 40 breweries in Virginia. Now there are close to 250. The brew pub business model is a tough one to maintain compared, compared to a brewery tap room with little overhead, low rents, and outsourced food trucks. Our draw from the surrounding area has dwindled what has become an extremely competitive craft beer market, which has resulted in this final decision. Plan a closure date Sunday, July 21st. However, we plan to continue with our nine-year anniversary party on Saturday, 13 July, to honor you, our investors, our staff, and the Falls Church community. Words cannot express how proud I am of the Mad Fox legacy and the opportunity to be a member of such a wonderful community, if even for a short while. We opened the first brew pub in the city of Falls Church and have won numerous medals at the Great American Beer Festival, as well as the Virginia Beer Cup. You, our guests, along with our spectacular Mad Fox team, have enabled us to build tremendous notoriety over nine years in business. I thank you for allowing Mad Fox to be a part of your lives. Thank you for your years of support. I hope to see you at the pub in the coming weeks. Sincerely, Bill Madden. Thoughts? Sad. Sad, sad. It's... It is an indictment of the brew pub model, though. It doesn't mesh with the modernization of Virginia beer laws. In 2010, it was the thing to do. It was. It was in absolutely. 2010, definitely. You know, and then, where, you, where you had breweries where you couldn't actually serve pints to say, all right, well, we're also going to be a one-stop shop for restauranting and exactly cocktails that. and wine, which they had, a full, they had a full liquor license. They were doing yeah. it all. It was a full restaurant. And then there were laws changed, and breweries could have tap rooms now. They, they could sell pints of beer without having to worry about having a restaurant. And some breweries adapted really well. Uh, some breweries expanded, but suddenly they weren't confined to a very small room where you could either have a flight or buy a growler and go. And, you know, it's also, you know, yeah, breweries had to adapt. And, and But you see the modern trend. Breweries will invite food trucks to be in front of the brewery. Then you offer board games so people will sit around and yeah. play games, want to drink beer. And, you know, it, and I, yeah. Which which I, I I think that is the way to go. The only problem is people who try to make a business small before the advent of the newer brew laws. It's a lot easier to do it now than it was in... 2010. Exactly. Uh-huh. Also, when you're not just focusing on a brewery, but on a full-fledged restaurant, those are those will sometimes... You get all the restaurant problems. Yeah. Let's say this is two people who work in food service industries yes. and have seen the trend in the last decade. When I first moved here in 2010, I want to say Mad Fox was one of the few breweries that I would regularly see, regularly read about in the Mid-Atlantic Brew News. I don't know if you are familiar. Oh, yes. It's, it's, it's the old, it's the old paper. The old, the old paper. Yeah. The old way to get, well, yeah. actually, no, still, still the new way, because yeah. any, any, any place worth their salt and getting some craft brews will probably carry the Mid-Atlantic Brew yeah. News, and hopefully maybe we'll advertise in there someday. And some of the, and some of the, and some of the more local, uh, once, you know, we will be, our next story, uh, we're pulling from a, a article that was published in the Virginia Growler section of the Virginia Pilot. Uh, but yeah, it's really sad. Um, Orange Whip IPA of theirs was a favorite of mine. And when I finally started working with a distributor that actually carried them, I had the chance to finally sell it on my own kegerator. Yes. But at the same time, like, it's hard to focus on distribution when you're also running a restaurant model. Exactly. I think they would have done a little better signing up with 
maybe a slightly larger distributor. There's definitely ones now that 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 could have that could have accommodated for this. Yes, uh, and the one the one they were with. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say some stuff because I, I actually don't think uh, their company, the company that used to distribute for them, exists anymore, or at least their property got bought out. But yeah, they were just they were up their own butts. They were they were one of those distributors, and we'll talk about distributors that are up their own butts in the next segment. Uh, but they really were, and it was only after working with a beer rep who left the company she was with and joined that company. That she said, oh, I had such a great time interacting with you over the years. I'm now working with this portfolio. And we'll talk more about small about the conglomerization of smaller distribution networks next week. Well, uh, all, all in all, sad news for Mad Fox. Yeah. Uh, he served us well, and hopefully the uh, brewmasters and all the people associated with making beer will be able to land on their feet, as there is a larger market in Virginia. And they, have this, yeah. they obviously have the skills... To make good beer, they, they have, sell off all that equipment. They sell off of the equipment. Yeah. They have the they have people with vision that can help out in all the other breweries. There there are opportunities for pretty much everyone there. Yeah. Um, next, we're talking about the exact opposite we've talked about yes. in that segment, uh, which is uh, the announcement of Hardywood and the Vale beginning their domination of brewery food offerings. So while you're <laughs> Mad Foxes. While we were discussing the, the collapse of the brew pub model, two of Virginia's biggest heavy hitters yeah. are saying, hold my beer, we're going to do it. Yes. They're taking a page um, out of Brewery Bravana in Raleigh, North Carolina, enlisting the help of chefs, some of which are James Beard award-winning chefs, mm-hmm. uh, to help build these ambitious restaurant concepts with a running theme of casual farm-to-table. In an article in the Virginia Pilot Online's Virginia Growler section, they discuss uh, the Hardywood West Creek location um, in Goochland, or a suburb of Goochland, becoming a building casual farm-to-table concept in the basement of their space. Have you been to the West Creek space for Hardywood? I have not. It's like coming across a ski lodge in the middle of the woods. Oh my. So you're driving, you're taking some... Some weird little highways, and then you take this one turn, you pass by Capital, uh, the Capital One corporate offices mm-hmm. right outside of Richmond, and then it's this like massive, just old man wood facility. <laughs> it really is cool. Uh, I've been up there twice, and both times I wish I could have stayed like much longer. <laughs> so yeah, they're working with Chef Joe. Sp- uh, Sparata, uh, he's one of Richmond's most uh, celebrated chefs. Uh, he runs the kitchens at Heritage and Southbound Restaurants, uh, Pioneers and Local and Seasonal Dining in Virginia, uh, which does parallel Hardywood's own emphasis on locally sourced ingredients. They both work with Agroberry Farms. Yes. They're, it's working out for them. The kitchen and restaurant space won't start serving food until early 2020. Uh, they're using it in the basement space. The only thing really in the basement space of there is a quality control office and just more office space. Like, there's so much room down there. Might as well um, use it. Yeah, yeah. And I think it'll be good for them. Chef has said that the menu will always be under construction. They'll serve a couple different sandwiches, seasonal soups, a couple salads, rotation based around seasonality. I don't ever want to have a lot of staples. When asparagus is growing, asparagus is on the menu. And the Vale is doing a similar concept 
with their highly ambitious Norfolk okay. facility. They have teamed up with Chef Ian Hawk of Norfolk's Codex okay. restaurant. I Very think, nice. I've never been to Codex. I think I've looked it up before and went, well, that's a nice menu. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they are opening uh, the Vales Plain three-story restaurant. will open later. They're saying they'll open later this summer. There's only so much better than There's only so much summer left, man. We're already halfway yeah. through. Like we can all... Uh, in the summer. former Chop House building in the city's newly dubbed Railroad District. Know anything about the Vale? You know, the beer is very hard to get, and they are very selective who gets to serve their beers. Oh, um, and with both of these projects, they both the breweries and chefs intend on more upscale beer dinners in the upper levels of their respective restaurants, with the fine dining foods paired with breweries' more esoteric options. The move is part of a generational shift, uh, according to Chef Sparata, a mingling of high-end food and beer that is new to this generation in America. I've done beer dinners before. Uh, I was lucky enough. In Mississippi, we were the first restaurant in Mississippi back in 2007, 2008. We were doing beer dinners. We had about four other restaurants in that market all copy the sort of things we were doing exactly. for beer dinners. Uh, um, I basically copied and pasted them for my own beer dinners I was doing at my restaurant. Definitely. I, I yeah. did a couple of beer dinners when I worked at Greenleaf back in the day. Oh, yeah. Theirs, I heard, used to be the best. It was, it was, it was very good. Um, the so beers would be fantastic. And When I worked with uh, Kevin Abley, was our bar manager. He, mm-hmm. he definitely had a good, good nose, good eye for beers and what what to serve at these dinners. Yeah. It, it worked out quite well uh, for for as much Lots as... Lots of Trogue's Mad Elf. <laughs> yeah. Well, as, as much as it as Greenland can be kind of divey, at least it was back in the day, the beer dinner was a, was something that could yeah. class things up. And so, yeah, I don't know what to think about this because we just spent 10 minutes talking about how the brew pub model's dying, but at the same time... <laughs> We've got the big boys redefining the brew pub. <laughs> well, I, I, I wouldn't consider this a brew pub necessarily. Are they going to be brewing at these facilities, or are they? Um, it sounds like the Vale is, and Hardywood's already brewing at their West Creek location. Right, right. Um, but West Creek, I think, is mainly just kind of knocking out their year rounds. Um, but their their draft menu there is like maybe 32 beers. Like, mm-hmm. They've got like, something crazy like 32 plus beers available at any given time plus cans of their of their sun Right, right. But that that means that their, their West Creek location would exist without this group of existing. True. So true. I, w- I wouldn't necessarily cl- categorize what's going up in West Creek as a brew pub. Whereas what the Vale's doing seems more into no. a classic definition yeah. of brew pub. It'll be interesting to see. I, I don't think... Hardywood's going to suddenly start offering whiskeys and wine tastings. There's some rumor that they might be starting a cider company, maybe. Possibly. Um, um, but they've, they've already, they're already crushing their market with, crushing the market with their Sun Crush uh, hard uh, green tea seltzers, which I am a huge fan of. So, yeah, the, the Veil one, though, I could see them saying, yeah, we're just beer or... Well, I mean, if they just stuck to beer, it'd be easier, the fail it'd be an easier liquor license to obtain than a full bar. Yeah, uh, but you know, they still, yeah, you still are required to, you know, for every celebrity celebrity chef, you're gonna need a team. You're gonna need a kitchen staff yes. that's reliable. 
you're going to need dishwashers that are reliable uh, if they go the way of, of China for maybe for the fancier things. All right. Well, we got the big boys of the small pond trying to yeah. fuss around f- food wise. What's Anheuser Busch doing? <laughs> so. This this episode's very very seesaw back and forth. So Anheuser Busch, uh, this is from an article in the Daily Press. Uh, Anheuser Busch this past weekend was this past weekend. Uh, Anheuser Busch hosted a backyard cheers event at their Williamsburg brewing facility, complete with live music, food trucks, and Anheuser Busch beer for purchase. It's like Anheuser Busch is looking at what the small guys are doing and going, yeah, we can do that. Um, and I think it's going to work for them. It isn't just that Anheuser-Busch employs a ton of people. They do. But there is a general interest in how large, you know, it's fascinating how smaller facility, you know, smaller breweries can knock out so much. But at the same time, I think there is an interest with the public on how the behemoths of beer, you know, do it. You know, uh, they haven't actually offered tours at their at. Anheuser-Busch Williamsburg hasn't really offered tours in a long time. They, oh, no. That used to be part of the Bush Gardens theme park experience, was that you could take a monorail over. Uh, but when Anheuser-Busch sold the parks division to SeaWorld Entertainment, suddenly that magical monorail to the land of Bud Light ceased to be. Um, but it's also not the first time that they've done like weekend events. I remember last June... Uh, there were multiple weekends where it was like $20 a head, but I think it ended up being like, you know, food trucks just out there, you know, just give, you know, it was, I think you could just kind of eat whatever you wanted and buy beers for purchase. So yeah, smart. Uh, they're already pulling, you know, a regular thing off like this at their St. Louis uh, and Fort Collins facilities. And as Bush has a whole website uh, based around it, which if you're like, no, they don't, Matt. I'm going to go, no, they do. Uh, I think it's called like AnheuserBuschTours.com. Yeah, I'm surprised they, they haven't done it sooner. But I think when they do start regularly offering that sort of stuff, you're going to see uh, an interest in it just as big as you see with some of the smaller guys. I know that's not cool to say. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it took Aleworks over a decade to develop a year-round beer Resembling a light lager. Yeah. One of the biggest criticisms of some of the other breweries in the area is sometimes it's just ales and stouts and sour ales yeah, and IPAs and IPAs and du- and dippas and tippas. Like it, it's yeah. Some some of the beers I sell the most are would be like uh, Central Universe's Tin Music, their amber lager. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, uh, I, especially during the summer when and, and it's been ridiculously hot past. Two, three weeks, and so you don't necessarily need an IPA. Sometimes you yeah. just need a lager to cool you down. Yeah. I, I was uh, catering an event last month, and the host bought two kegs. You got a keg of a Kolsch and a keg of an IPA, both from the Virginia Beer Company. And The Kolsch went immediately. Kolsch was gone in two hours. Like, dinner hadn't even started, and the Kolsch was, was gone. I, I've... It's, I've never seen a keg of Kolsch go that fast. I'm not surprised, and, though, because Kolsch will drink down easy. Yes. Yeah. And would that have been my first choice in that sort of setting? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Sometimes, again, my fetish is Matuka hops. Like, I don't, I don't know how I would respond. But 
Um, I think there's a market for people who do want to have a brewery experience and want, you know, something lighter to drink. Like when I've gone out to Indiana, you go to breweries and they're offering wine and or some whiskey, some whiskey selections. And I ask buddy, like, why would they do that? And it's like, not everyone wants the beer, man. Some people yeah. want this environment, but, but are not beer drinkers or, exactly. or can't drink gluten, you know, can't consume gluten. And we don't necessarily have a sorghum beer ready. Yeah. It's, uh, there's one local brewery that does do a sorghum ale. And I think more are coming from elsewhere. Yeah. Just, yeah. So yeah, that, uh, last thing I'd like to say, we're end on a, on a happy bit. Um, cool development. Uh, but Smart Math Beer at Norfolk has begun distribution to the Outer Banks, partnering with the Atlantic Craft Beer and Specialty Wine Distributors. I didn't write notes on this because it's just kind of a... Hey. Hey. This is pretty cool. <laughs> this this was just announced. That's really neat. Thanks. Yeah. News. Smart Math, good Southside Brewery, and they just... I'm good to see yeah. them more places, especially the Outer Banks, where I'm likely to go for... You know, a quick weekend at the beach or something. Yeah. Uh, other cool thing, I didn't put it in the notes, but I read right before um, we started this, uh, Benchtop Brewing Company, literally down the street mm-hmm. from from Smart Mouth's Pilot House, uh, they will be opening their patio soon. Uh, if you've ever been to Benchtop, it's cramped. Uh, <laughs> the beers are really good. It's also really tight in there. I, I think that's key to any any good brewery tap room is moving that, forward the outside space. Just, yeah, and it's, and it's about being careful with it, making sure it's a manageable space in both the hot season and, and the cold times. Because yeah. we do get a winter here in Virginia. It's not necessarily the worst winter, and sometimes it's just for a day, and then it, and then it's it's not winter anymore. Uh, so yeah, that ends it for our Virginia news. Uh, we're going to take a little break and come back with our blind taste tests. All right. All right, enough of that nonsense. Let's get on to some global beer news. And let's start with something everyone loves. Free money. Free money. That's it, baby. Money, money, money. Class action. Money, money, money. Who do you love? Teach us some bucks. So, the, uh, our first topic of discussion today uh, involves the Hawaiian Kona Brewing. Co- Kona Brewing. Kona Brewing. Kona Beers. Recently, uh, it was announced that a proposed settlement has been made uh, to resolve claims that Kona Beers are deceptively marketed as being made in Hawaii when they are actually brewed in the continental United States. Ooh. Uh, two years of hard litigation, and we now have answers. I believe the most one household can receive is around $20. They are only allowing claims to be filed for four and six packs of Kona beer, uh, 12 packs of Kona beer, or 24 packs of Kona beer. Uh, you can collect up to $20 with proof of purchase and up to $10 without proof of purchase. There is no cap on the number of claims that defendants must pay as part of the settlement. However, the defendants have the right to terminate the settlement. They receive more than 1 million claims, regardless of the monetary value of these claims. This is all from 
topclassactions.com, your source for class action lawsuits across these United States. The classiest action lawsuits. And maybe around the world. I mean, Probably the United States is the home of the largest class action lawsuits. The way that the U.S. legal systems. Can you uh, say that as a former lawyer? Uh, I can say that as a, a graduate from a law school. Yes. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. So yeah, there's only one way for this story to go, and it's happening exactly like it should be. Uh, the Oregon-based craft brew alliance, who they own Red Hook, Ben Mission, and Kona, go through painstaking, painstaking detail um, in their chemistry to recreate as much of the waters of Hawaii as they can for these beers. Mm -hmm. This was still going to happen. Yes. Kona beer sold on tap in Hawaii, but bottled and draft Kona beer in the United States. It's brewed at facilities in New Hampshire. Oregon, Tennessee, and Washington, kind of larger contract brewing facilities. Um, precedent for this came down in 2015 when Anheuser-Busch InBev was sued for labels that misled, misled the public regarding where Bex was brewed. Portal word, it's St. Louis. Um, ah, that great German city of <laughs> St. Louis. How did you make St. Louis sound German? Like, any more German? Uh, like, is there... Is, is there uh, a substitute for, for Lewis in German? It's probably not. Not know. It's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But there's only one way this was going to go down. If you have any proof that you've purchased Kona beer in the last five years, congratulations. You get some money back. You can get 20 bucks. He can buy some more Kona beer. You can get more Kona beer. Unpopular opinion, I'm all right with Kona beer. I'm all right with it. Uh, I've got a girl on my trivia team when we do trivia on Wednesday nights. All she drinks. Loves it. My goodness. Kona beer's fine. My wife visited the brewery in the early 2000s. Said it was nice and she still wears the t-shirt from that trip. And not surprising. Well, maybe surprising to some. Uh, but Anheuser-Busch InBev does own a 31% stake in the craft brew alliance. And okay. speaking of AB, because Anheuser-Busch becomes the official sponsor of the National, National Women's Soccer League after a whirlwind of games, a whirlwind of... After a, a inspiring top-class performance by the U.S. Women's National Team in the World Cup, culminating in the 2-0 victory over the Netherlands, winning the World Cup for the ladies for the, for the fourth time. Again. Uh, I think it's actually pretty cool and as Bush has become an official sponsor of the National Women's Soccer League. Good for them. Take the money. Take the money. The sponsorship makes Budweiser among the league's largest sponsors, taken from the press release from Anheuser-Busch, as well as a few snippets from Brewbound. Becoming the official beer sponsor of the National Women's Soccer League is our way of not just supporting the U.S. women's team once every four years, but also supporting women's soccer every single day. Uh, because there are a lot of instances when they're not playing the Netherlands that this team is playing to emptier stadiums. Emptier stadiums. It's also a nice infusion of money that they can always use because it's not like the national team's paying them. Yeah. Like, like if they Take were the, the men money. for some strange reason. Take the money. I'm the ghost of money. Take it's, the money. It's not selling out. It's being rewarded for yeah. their hard work. Uh, and, yeah, 
This partnership makes a lot more sense than ABM attempting to trademark the official beer of eSports, which is currently happening, even though Miller Coors also sponsors an eSports team. Well, the, um, the, the funny thing is official beer of eSports is actually an energy drink, but that's... Yeah, it's, it's Mountain Dew Code Red or something. With apologies to the gamer community listening to our program today. Actually, yeah. I'll, I'll disclose this. I'm, a, I'm an avid gamer, so I'll probably <laughs> accept it. Uh, and yeah, and has a bush. They get some great press from this, but at the same time, uh, they just got hit with over $500,000 in fines from the state of California for air quality standards uh, regarding the delivery trucks. Trucks. So, just another day in Anheuser-Busch. Womp womp. They got the money. They got, they the, got the money. They got the money. Spend it on the women who deserve it. So, speaking of California. Yes. California has recently redefined the definition of beer. What does that even mean? Oh. It means it's the German purity laws. Slutty your sister who plays a boost with wacky ingredients. My goodness. Uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom signed a law Tuesday revising the definition of beer to include production including honey, fruit, fruit juice, fruit concentrate, herbs, spices, and other food materials as adjuncts in fermentation. The law also says that beer aged in empty wooden wine or spirits barrels is defined as beer and should not be considered a dilution or mixture of any other alcoholic beverages. California beer companies were previously required to hold a wine-making license in order to use fruit in the fermentation process. According to KSBW News, the clarification aligns state law with the existing federal law. This this is good. This is good for them. Well, it's good for them. It's also good for brewers, and then they can have more definition of what beer is. And, and not wasting money on a wine-making license. Exactly. Like, exactly. I can't believe that California just did this. Like, this seems like something California would have fixed a decade ago based on the market. Well, I, well, I think it's the market now saying, well, you know, Colorado and Virginia and all these other states are catching up to, you know, or, yeah. or surpassing California when it comes to crap brewing and, uh, and other, other different, yeah. uh, you know, your ciders, your meads, your... What, what have you, you, you can now co- consider all of them beer in terms of legal protections or legal advantages or legal disadvantages. Yeah, I, good for California. Good for California, can't believe it's 2019 and this is just happening, but you know what, it happened. We're through it, and now we can move forward. But speaking of beers that make the Reinsgebolt cry, uh, yes. the Reinsgebolt in yeah. the German purity law, the 1500s. Also named my favorite anime, but hey. Uh, this, we're, we're going into the sad news portion of today's program. This is Founders Brewing announcing the end of CBS, not the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Or the Central this, Broadcasting System. This is not the Tiffany Network. No, no. This is uh, an announcement made via Founders Brewing's email newsletter, The Cadre, the 2019 release of Founders Brewing Company's popular CBS Imperial Stout will be its last in the foreseeable future. The Mission Fitting Craft Brewery added it will sell 12 ounce bottles of CBS in addition to their 750 milliliter bottles for the first time in the U.S. when the beer is released on November 1st. CBS, also known as Canadian Breakfast Stout, is an Imperial Stout 
is aged with maple. You know what? We, we, we could just say maple, and I think people will get it. Yes. I, you know, I'm not the biggest Founders fangirl. I mean, it's it's a good beer. Yeah. Uh, some some people really go crazy for it, and so this is yeah. a little disheartening to know that, like, yeah. one, there are ten poles. Yeah. Well, I know, like, Lauren at, at Hair the Dog Bottle Shop here in Williamsburg, sometimes she'd hold on to those bottles until, until Black Friday. Oh, definitely. And those would be one of the high-ticket items. Sought after. Yeah. And, you know, that was definitely maybe a little bit more of a problem for me with the beer, uh, because... In 2019, even I kind of flinch when I see a 750 milliliter bottle of beer that's clocking in at 30 bucks. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's why maybe it was never, it was never one that I saw. But yeah, I do think you know it's not. Founders isn't brewery that I love. It's brewery that I like. I like a lot. But yeah, it definitely made a statement about the craft beer market. When it was first released, I believe in 2011. My my question is 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 it market forces creating this, or is this an attempt to make artificial scarcity? I don't know because is this is this know, sort of thing where like with Pappy Van Winkle, do you make only a certain amount, therefore driving up the price and demand? I would say that, but then again, in doing my research on CDS, CDS hasn't always been re- released every year. Since 2001. Okay. Uh, when I looked it up, it looked like maybe there were a few years they skipped a year. But for a complete announcement for the foreseeable future, yes. um, is either A, uh, market redirect, or B, oh, we really screwed something up. Yes. Um, well, I don't know if tariffs exist on on maple on barrels of maple i, I mean don't i don't know possibly I, I i don't think the tariffs themselves would be no. the driving factor in this announcement yeah, i think i think maybe it was just a a really expensive beer to produce and they opted not to and to play it safe which is fine for founders because i you know in a market that we've discussed over these last two episodes where we're seeing a resurgence of hard seltzers or you know the growth of the spiked tea markets, or PBR hard coffee coming to a podcast near you very soon. Yes, next podcast. So pumped, guys. Um, but but Founders has been one of those craft brewers who uh, have actually seen an increase uh, in revenues for 2019, uh, based on a report by the IRA Research Group, taken from an article Brewbound. Uh, Founders has seen a nearly 16% sales increase here, which is hard. Like, I think the shoots got a 0.1 increase. They have a rebound has a list of all of them, and it's not guaranteed. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Chris's big dumb apology. I'm still kind of new to the podcast recording department, and I messed up on the microphones from that past segment, so please bear with me, but we should be able to hear Matt's golden voice. This microphone is blinking orange. It should be blinking orange. We've now recorded your voice. Excellent! Yes, <laughs> you're definitely coming in loud. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, happens. Um, right. we're, I'm still going to talk, Just I'm still going to wax a little more about the end of CBS. Yeah. Um, now that everyone can hear me. Um, it's just sad. 
It was one of the top 50 beers, on-rate beers, top 50 beers of all time. That's just, it's going to be a bummer. But at the same time, it was never a beer I really sought out. I let my friends seek it out for me. You, you know, choose your battles. You know what I can see happening, though? I can see certain retailers picking up a couple of kegs of this. And how many, however many kegs they have. And yeah. keep one stashed in the corner for oh, the yeah. other two. I wouldn't be surprised if one pops up at the uh, at the next beer festival oh, with the Wear of Blues Jazz Fest. Because I swear, that was all... I want to say CBS was always one of their VIP beers for the chain. So, Williamsburg, we have like three big festivals... Whistle Belly being the largest in August. Mm-hmm. Um, in April, there's the Williamsburg Craft Beer Festival, which is a little more run-of-the-mill. Run of and then there's a big festival the, in January. Yeah, the Barrel House Blues Fest. Barrel House Blues. It's had different names every year. I think um, Barrel House is what they're going with from here. Yeah. Okay. They're going out with that. So, yeah. Uh, so, the festival in January... And yeah, I swear CBS was always a staple of their VIP hour in the tents. And you'd get there after the VIP part, and people would go, just wait in line for this. I don't know. I didn't wait in line for it. (laughs) But I respect people that did. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So at this point... This printer concludes our whirlwind tour of the world of brew news in the past week. We're going to take a little bit of a break. And we'll bring it more local. Yeah. And now on to our blind taste test. This week we'll be starting with Chris's beer for me. Mainly because it looks like mass beer will destroy our palates. So it's... We'll get there. Yeah, we'll Trust get us. We'll get there. All right, so we've got this this bad boy right here. It came out of a can. Came out of a can. Came out of a can. Um, the one hint, uh, we did talk about this brewery briefly uh, in the first week. Ooh. That could be anyone. Yeah, we did talk uh, about it. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, so I'm looking at a, almost a pale straw color, not very effervescent. Like a little lighter on the ABV side. Not seeing a whole lot. Uh, a lot of heavy lacing. Mm-hmm. Uh, smells, uh, get some hop notes. Got some hop notes, but what I'm smelling, it's definitely probably what my favorite part would be. Yeah. Um, almost just a little bit of a, a tropical stone fruit nose. You're good in there. All right. Let's, uh, this day works free verse, or is this free verse IPA from Virginia Beer Company? It is not. It is not. It is not. This is real good, though. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely uh, takes a little more on the session side of things. So not the Freeverse. Not the Freeverse. The Virginia Beer Company Freeverse. Um, but it is good. Um, trying to think back. It's been so long since we first recorded episode zero. The episode where Matthew accidentally lied. Uh, <laughs> um... I don't know. Lying is an intentional <laughs> act. You just it was mis- not intentional. It was you, not intentional. You just misstated some yes. of that. I'm not actually sure what this is. It, it, again, it's an IPA. Okay. okay. Or well, maybe pale ale. Maybe pale ale. Okay, well, the uh, the segment in which we were talking about this was the... Uh, we were talking about the uh, crap beer competition from, that we were talking about where... Uh, I'm not going to give away... Oh! Oh, I think I know. 
Um, I think it's I think it's what I've been uh, drinking on Wednesday nights when I play trivia. Oh. Um, is it the Hoptropolis from New Realm Brewing Company? It is not the Hoptropolis. It is New Realm. So you, you, all right. You uh, is it their hazy like a fox? It is hazy like a okay. fox. This is their New England IPA, their hazy IPA. It's a double dry hop with Eldorado and Azaka hops. Gives nice pineapple and tangerine yeah. flavors there. Yeah. Yeah, so I switched over. I was drinking Hazy Like a Fox at Trivia, and then they ran out, but they had Hoptropolis. And so, like, the last month or two, we'll have two Hoptropoli. And that's, that's what will happen. Yeah, yeah. so this is like, going up, oh, I'm done. Yeah, this is going about 6.4 ABV. So, mm-hmm. not, nothing overpowering, but still still has some, some yeah, punch. Very there. good. Very uh, good. This is really more to bring out the, the tropical flavors. Mm-hmm. As it's summertime, I'm going to focus, you know, I'll focus more on tropical flavors. Like, first week was the blood orange margarita. I just followed the rules this time, so that hey. <laughs> No, and that's that's where the discussion came up yes. about what Ballast Point is because Ballast Point is owned by Constellation Brands, and that there there was a chance last week's beer from Funky Buddha, also right. owned by Constellation Brands, but could have been Florida. done. Yeah. Whereas New New Realm has a facility in Virginia, in Virginia Beach, open operational. Basically inherited a brand new multi-million dollar facility from Green Flesh. They just went right in and decided, hey, let's make great beer in a great brewing state. Yeah. The, the canning line, I don't even think it had been used. Like, if it hadn't been used, it might have only been used for like one run. One run. And I think it was, I think it was the, the GFB of, uh, of Green Flesh. Either way. GFB. It did not stand for what you thought it would be. Anyway. That would be annoying. All right, so this is delicious. This one um, also comes from a discussion in our first episode, okay. technically. And possibly even from a discussion on the same discussion we just had. Okay. This is a Virginia product. It's a Virginia um, product, all right. It's okay. well, very new. Very new. Very new. Fairly new. This is uh, very dark, very opaque. So we're looking. It looks like either a porter or stout. I can't can't tell just by looking because. <laughs> oh man! Sorry, I got I got one down. I think I know what I'm gonna do next. I keep well. I very strong coffee coming from this. this is, uh, yeah, I think I have had this on draft once, and it this will destroy people if put in the wrong hands. Feel like a mad yeah. scientist could <laughs> weaponize this. Yes. Yes. So as you know there is a coffee aroma, it's not the PBR hard coffee. No, no, no. No. We have not been blessed. That yet. will be coming in two weeks. In that two week time where you're waiting on the next episode, tell your friends about the podcast. Yeah. Tell your friends about it. We're we'll be we'll be we'll be ramping it up very soon. Yeah, we're we're available on Google Podcasts, we're available on Spotify. Uh, we're still trying to get that iTunes thing, so I'm, we're going to try and knock out a couple more episodes. I'll help get the iTunes yeah. imprintur. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we're, it's, uh, it's got to... Alright, let's have ourselves a nice little taste of this dark bad boy. <laughs> Very strong coffee. Very strong coffee. That, Alright, so if we talked about it... There's a chance we talked about it. There's always a chance we talked about it. Um, 
Well, let's see. Uh, it's a chance. Not, it's not a lot of one. I don't think it was in the notes. No, I don't think it was notes. No, I think it. I think it was definitely when discussing the sort of people who won. Right. So uh, this in the. So oh, so we we're like like with New Realm. This is. Uh, a brewery that may not, may not have originated in Virginia, but no, 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 no. This brewery originated in Virginia, originated in Virginia, but they might have also won an award at the the uh, Virginia Craft Brewers okay. Cup that we discussed in that first episode. Uh, hmm. This what city are we drinking from? Williamsburg. Williamsburg is where we are right now. Okay. Um, <laughs> is this an Ale Works Coffeehouse Porter? You're right on the brewery. Okay. So it's not there. All right. Well, Ale Works produces a few different dark beers. They, they do. They do. They're, let me get my cheat sheet it here. It is Ale Works. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I've uh, yeah. I've I've only had this beer one other time. It was on draft at the Greenleaf, mm-hmm. and it was served in a tiny glass. Served in a tiny glass. So, don't think no, it's not the protocol porter. No. Oh, is this the is this the Cafe Royale? No, it's not. But it is bourbon barrel aged, specifically the bourbon barrel porter. Specifically, Woodford Reserve bourbon barrels. Oh my! It's not BBP. No, 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 no. It's not Cafe Royale. This is a newer offering from them. Uh, okay. I don't think it hit the market hit the market last year. Okay. And a bunch of bunch of the ladies I used to work with in Colonial Williamsburg who have all have recently discovered craft beer. This was by far their favorite. And I would have multiple discussions about uh, Oh my god, Matt, have you had uh, I will yield uh, what which which Aleworks brew is this? This is the Pancake House Stout. Pancake House Stout. Clocking in at 8.5% ABV. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a jolt of coffee and a drip of maple, aged in Woodford Reserve bourbon barrels, and rested on crisp bacon. Crisp bacon. <laughs> so, like some of the, like, almost saltiness, the, like, salinity you get on, like, the tip of the tongue, it's a bacon. Okay. I have not had the pancake house that before, so... This you is, haven't? No, I, ha- well, I had not. Yeah, like, a bunch of the... A bunch of my... My my ladies used to work with the Colony Williamsburg when they just you know discovered local craft beer. Oh, yes, this was the one that they would go. Matt, have you had it? Matt, have you had it? It was one uh, we were never lucky enough to have in uh, in kegs at the restaurants or package. Actually, mm-hmm. they I want to say they only really the first year they did it was only really in package. And yeah, I think I maybe had one at Greenleaf. Uh, I think I've only really had one at Greenleaf. So when we were discussing awards at the same uh, Virginia uh, Craft Beer Cup, that New Realm crushed it uh, as being best in show. Uh, this beer ended up taking place uh, second place in the smoked beer category. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we talked about it when we were discussing yeah. local boys. Uh, and then at the Veer 2018 Golden Tap Awards, uh-huh. uh, which was held last December, um, Aleworks ended up getting uh, second in the top five breweries uh, overall with their awards. And they, I believe, got a... Or check the awards. 
want to make sure I get the award right for this one. Um, they end up getting the silver for the historical and smoked beer category okay. uh, in our local um, our local beer tasting competition that I've never been able to attend. Okay. Well, that should maybe up. this year we will. Maybe this year we will with the podcast. Well, because yeah. it's apparently a really cool party. Well. If we maybe we could do a live podcast. That would be nice too. <laughs> Just sit down, have brewers come up to us, sit down for five minutes, chat about beers. Yeah. So yeah, let's see. Uh, yeah, that wraps it up. I'd say for cool stuff to keep your eye out for uh, in the area, we've got Whistle Belly August third. Uh, later in August, Aleworks is releasing this year's Jubilee. Oh, the Jubilee! Jubilee's in August. August. The perfect time of year to drink 12% Belgian strong ale. Was it's the perfect time of year to buy it and put it in your fridge and, and keep it, it and keep it there until about yeah. Christmas time. And then yeah, let's see. Uh, Virginia Beer Company. They've got uh, a trio of their heavy hitters coming out soon. Uh, Rob Your Head Imperial Red. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Estimated Eyes uh, Experimental IPA, yeah. as well as their Confusion Corner. Triple IPA all coming out very soon. Yeah. Trying to so, why don't you take us out with a moment of zen? Moment of zen. Yeah. So I I read the story, and as someone who has worked in restaurant settings, I've had I've I've seen these these mix up happen. But at this level, at this level, I've not. This is from uh, uh, Munchies by Vice Vice dot com. Steakhouse accidentally serves. $5,700 wine to guests who ordered way cheaper bottle. Uh, near the famed wine city of Bordeaux, the small French vineyard Chateau La Pomme makes just about 500 cases of wine per year. Those bottles command up to $6,000 each, and they are so desired that wine critic James Suckling once called the experience of tasting every vintage a dream fulfilled. The vast majority of people... Pretty much any bottle of a pen would result in some level of financial setback. You'd want to sip it with some intention. But alas, a British steakhouse, the pricing investment of Le Pen Pomerol 2001 was sunk by a server's misreading of the labels. According to the menu at Hawksmoor Manchester's, uh, Hawksmoor's Manchester location, that bottle, which holds an average critic rating of 93 out of 100, so, you know, an A minus. Should pull in uh, forty five hundred pounds, or just around five hundred or five thousand seven hundred dollars, making it the most expensive of the restaurant's wine rarities. The guests had ordered the Chateau Pichon Longueville Contest d'Avanga. This is a reason why we don't do a wine podcast. Some of these get really long. This budget choice, by comparison, uh, was that the guest had ordered was two hundred sixty pounds, or in U.S. dollars, around $330. Uh, it's a pretty expensive goof, but it was a very busy night at the restaurant. This is from a spokesperson for Hawksmoor. Uh, and a very simple mistake. A member of staff picked up the wrong bottle, mistaking it for another Bordeaux of the same vintage. The customer didn't know, and it was only afterwards that one of the managers picked up what happened. Well, on that note, I'm Chris Darum. And we don't run a wine podcast. I'm Matthew Black. <laughs> Thank you very much, and we will see you all in two weeks. Two weeks.